Thanks for tuning in to the Boiled Sports Podcast Network. Good morning to you. It is Friday, January 5th at 11.30 a.m., but you're probably watching this after. You're definitely watching this after because I'm going to edit it a little bit, put a little more, more of a production into this one today. Not a live stream. I'll have another live stream either late, late tonight or early tomorrow in reaction to the Illinois game. Purdue plays Illinois tonight at 8.30 p.m. in Mackey Arena. Um, I'm getting ready for it. Can't wait to be in Mackey today for that game. Hope to see you up there. Big game. Uh, Purdue playing top 10 Illinois is the first time Purdue's played a, a inside the top 10 team or intra top 10 game. Since Robbie Hummel and company were on campus, that's that's a big deal. It's been a while. Um, feel pretty good about the game, but at the same time, uh, I think Illinois is tough. They've got a lot of vets on the team, a lot of uh, old guys. Uh, like the the guys at Sleeper said, this is a real test of the philosophy of transfer portal versus non-transfer portal. Uh, another good test of that. It seems like transfer portal is pretty pretty good at providing uh, players that physically are superior to guys that are homegrown, if you will. You get a lot of guys that are 24, 25 years old. Illinois is one of those teams. They're very old, very experienced. But they're also down a man, thanks to the suspension of Terrence Shannon. So there's a lot of things to talk about. Illinois looked great the last two games, though, without Shannon. So some are saying Illinois is better without him. I don't agree with that at all. Terrence Shannon was one of the best players in America. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. So uh, we'll see what happens tonight, 8.30. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about college football and how it can be fixed. I think it's a bad thing for somebody like me to complain over and over and over about something, like I have been calling this the broken era of college sports, uh, specifically college football. Um, college basketball also has some similar problems and is affected similarly, but it feels like college football is affected a lot more directly and it's, um, it's, it hurts the game a lot more because of the nature of football rosters, the size of the rosters, especially in a developmental program like Purdue. Everything, of course, around here is Purdue-centric. But I'm going to talk about some fixes that I think might um, go a long way to making uh, aiding to make the, the problems go away. We'll see. But I can tell you right now, one thing the NCAA has not done well is they have not been proactive. They've reacted to everything. They haven't had plans in place when they roll something out. And because of that, the game is being shaken to its core. There's no doubt. Before I get into it, let me thank our friends at Homefield Apparel. Head over to homefieldapparel.com. Enter Boiled23 for 15% off of your first purchase. And when you're on campus tonight, maybe before the Purdue game, Purdue versus Illinois game, Head over to AJ's on Vine. My dad says head over to AJ's by the uh, by the fire station. Uh, grab grab some of those fried pretzels. Those uh, they're delicious. Grab some uh, mac and cheese bites and then feast on some Italian beef or burger. Uh, your choice. Some some very good choices. Everything's good there. Burgers, beef, and beer. That's AJ's. So let's talk a little bit about the state of the game. Like you've heard me say over and over and over, there are just a lot of problems that need to be addressed. One of the biggest issues the college football game has is the lack of relate, relatability that's, that's growing because teams are changing so rapidly 
We saw it, of course, with Nick Scorton. So not surprisingly at all, he announced he's going to Texas A&M. Everybody already knew that. Um, regardless of how he came to that decision, doesn't feel very good. But regardless, he's gone. He's not a Boilermaker anymore, and it hurts. Because a development or program like Purdue, a place that offers players that maybe other schools aren't willing to, the, the top-tier programs aren't willing to, uh, often Purdue will get a get a guy that's a diamond in the rough, or even better, is a is a diamond right away. He's not in the rough at all. And um, with the new rules as they stand right now, it might be harder for Purdue to hold on for Purdue to hold on to a lot of these players that we've enjoyed watching playing so much. And so, what is something the game can do? What is something the structure can do? Uh, well, I've got some ideas, and will they include the NCAA? I don't know in the future. I don't know if the NCAA is going to solve the problem. In fact, I'm pretty confident they're not. I think they're going to do everything they can to try to stay relevant, to hold on with by their fingernails uh, in college football. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a, uh, a new governing body over college football specifically. seems like football is the easiest one to break away simply because there is no female equivalent of the sport. It kind of floats above Title IX because of that. And having a governing body with a either two mega conferences or three or four, it doesn't really matter, but the paid subdivision that will be kicked off by the NCAA within the air of the NCAA will probably come very soon, if not next year, the year after, something like that. When we already know there's a lot of payment being received in the form of NIL, but things are going to tighten up a little bit. And what I'm going to look at is some ways that college football could make itself or protect itself from some of the problems that are happening. Some of you have had some good suggestions during live streams. I talk a little bit about one of those suggestions here, um, but there are a lot of problems right now in college football. Um, there's the problem, the bowl system and the playoff system. Uh, obviously, the bowls are becoming less and less relevant every year as you see teams playing each other that have literally nobody um, that is from the original roster, from the regular season roster. I believe it was Florida State had 30 players uh, opt out of playing in their bowl. Obviously, there were a lot. There was a lot of let down there because they were they were lowered out of the playoff for um, because they didn't have their starting quarterback playing. But um, the committee really botched that. Florida State had earned that spot. I don't. I, I'll stand on that forever. Um, dealing with the hypothetical isn't what the playoff committee is supposed to do. They're supposed to deal with what they're seeing. Florida State was an undefeated conference champion, and instead of inviting all undefeated teams, they invited a one-loss Alabama and a one-loss Texas, um, and uh, they missed. They missed, and because of that, though, Florida State lost a lot of players in the bowl. Ohio State lost a ton of players in their bowl. They lost their starting quarterback. Um, to transfer, a lot of things uh, make those bulls tough to watch. But one of them is the fact that guys are transferring out so quickly. I hope to offer, it's not going to be a full cure. It's not going to be a full cure, but maybe some cure. One of the biggest things I think, though, that will happen, I think going to 12-team playoff next year, I think within two, three years after that, it'll be up to 16 teams. That's a very easy uh, next step. Four rounds of playoff, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and how they do that, how they manage that, I think we'll, I'll talk to you a little bit about what I think they should do there. But simply giving players a motivator to play in the bowl games is something that's needed, in my opinion. Uh, on top of that, the calendar needs to be adjusted a little bit because I think a lot of players feel a pressure to jump into the portal and try to find out what's on the other side of the fence, the greener side of, of uh, that 
player portal, the transfer portal. And finally, the structure around not only NIL, but um, transparency within um, the way NIL contracts are sponsored. And then finally, uh, some punishment for things when things uh, step outside of the rules. I'll talk a little about all those things. So let me go through it first. I, I'm going to post an article on boiledsports.com, which I don't do very often, but it's a corresponding piece that talks about the state of the finances within the game, the, how we got here, that sort of thing. It's going to be a little bit different than what I'm talking about here today, but it's a good corresponding piece in case you want to read on it and sound off about it. You can do it here in the comments, you can do it on Twitter, or you can do it over there at Boiled Sports in the comments there. But both of these pieces are going to come together to show what my thoughts are and taking a step forward. The big thing I want people to take away is my numbers, meaning the the salaries, the NIL numbers, the fines, that sort of thing. They're really just a guideline. Those are all there for a reason to, to create some structure that is not in place and needs to be put up. There needs to be very, very clear um there needs to be transparency that when you break the rules, there's going to be a cost. What are those costs going to be? Right now, the NCAA does things like you break the rules, you get investigated, and there's either no punishment or some unusual small punishment. It, 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 it makes no sense. There's no rhyme or reason behind it. We very, very seldomly have seen the NCAA throw its weight behind a true punishment, especially with the, the Blue Bloods, and that's not going to change anytime soon. In fact, we've seen it just... Very recently, there is no, there are no teeth to the NCAA. It's a toothless tiger, and um, it's really a model that is that is an antique that's gone, that's lost its relevancy. But I'll talk a little bit about all that stuff. One thing that I wanted to look at though is the finances of the game, uh, and I talk a little bit about this in this post. I want you to read up on it if you're if you're interested in this. But it talks a little bit about the TV deals, the the um, current spend for all the athletic departments in the Big Ten. I use the Big Ten as my model, of course, because I'm a Big Ten, uh, in the heart of the Big Ten, being a Purdue guy, Purdue first guy. One thing I found out during my research is Purdue spends less money on athletic uh, on athletic budget than any program in the Big Ten. Obviously, that's because Purdue's business model is a little bit different than a lot of other schools. Purdue doesn't get fun, uh, funds from, um, from just the general university. Purdue runs everything in the black. That's an old Morgan Burke philosophy that has stayed in place, which has been good. Right now, there's absolutely no reason for an athletic department, in my opinion, to take money from the university. In fact, it should be the other way where the athletics are giving to the university. There's just so much money in the hopper, and there's a way to do this. There's a way to do it where you don't have to uh, run things in the red, obviously, especially in the Big Ten or the SEC, the SEC and the Big Ten uh, are head and shoulders above everybody in television. That's why you see programs leaving the Pac-12, obviously, as it's exploded. And the AC, ACC, as we've watched Florida State lead the way there with their uh, group of lawsuits against the conference. Those programs are really not happy. Specifically, I, I, I use Washington State as an example. Washington State spent or $84 million on their uh, athletics department last year, and they were $11 million over budget. Compare and contrast that Purdue, I think, spent just over $110 million. Uh, Purdue's in the black. Purdue's doing well. A lot of times when programs are in the black, when they're trying to eat up that money to stay in nonprofit status, what do they do? Well, they'll pay coaches more money. They'll 
invest in facilities. A lot of that money goes that way. Well, the, every team in the Big Ten that is a, a has been a member for a while is going to get the full seventy-five to eighty million dollars in TV um, in TV revenue starting next year. The reason why I say seventy-five to eighty million dollars, the the numbers are not super clear. And all these things, when I find when I when I look at two different sources, the numbers will be a little off. I put ranges in there uh, to talk to talk to you about how much money is really in the hopper. And the whole reason I do that is to show that the numbers that I'm giving you are also possible. It just takes a shift in philosophy. It takes a shift in what the business model will be for somebody like Purdue. So uh, please read up on that if you're interested in it. Um, I'm going to go on further. Uh, one thing that is here to stay, it seems, is the portal. The portal has a lot of things around it that need to be changed. But one of the biggest to me in college football specifically. I'm gonna focus mostly on college football in this. I talk about athletic departments. I don't really dig at basketball that much, but I talk about football because it's the big dog. It's the one that's carrying football into the place that it's been. It's the one that's carrying the TV revenue into next level stuff. Um, one thing the portal has, it needs a small adjustment in my opinion, just a small adjustment. And that is right now, um, right now the portal opens December 4th and then it's opened for 30 days. The problem with this is that the bowl season kind of overlaps with the opening of that. And so if a player even had part of himself wanting to be with his teammates and play one more game, it's a little bit harder. Some programs don't let their players stay on the roster when they enter the portal. Some do. Like James Madison, I think, had a lot of guys enter the uh, enter the portal because they lost their coach, Signetti. Signetti? I don't know. Uh, IU's new coach, uh, so they lost their coach. A lot of guys left, but they said, please stay. They also did something creative. They also lost some of their coaches. They had part, uh, partial contracts just for the bowl season or just for those couple of weeks to prepare. It didn't work out really well as they lost, but they had to get creative because of all these changes. A coaching change obviously shakes up everything. It shook up everything for Purdue last year when Purdue headed to the bowl. Purdue didn't have the usage of a lot of important players because when Jeff Brom left, I think a lot of guys said, okay, this is not going to be a normal game. And then some guys like O'Connell and Durham said, I don't think we're going to be here. I think we're going to get ready for the draft. Now, would would those guys have played if Brom would have still been there? I think so. But the end result was an absolutely horrible, horrible result. Purdue played one of its worst games we've ever seen them play. Purdue got destroyed by LSU. A lot of guys were playing in Positions that they don't usually play or playing uh, in the ones and twos when they probably are three or four deep type guys. We also, um, I mean, the game was honestly in, in score was similar to the Auburn game a couple years ago. I still think that the news of Tyler Trent's health tr- greatly affected the team that game as they saw football as unimportant. Important. At least that's the way I talked myself into it. But this LSU-Purdue game was an atrocious football game, and um, much of that is because all the guys said they weren't going to play. So in a typical typical year now, if you move that portal, you open it December 15th, keep it open to January 15th, and then give an extra week for players that are playing in the uh, championship, give them a chance if they want to transfer, they can. Um, the, the window was to stay open for them. They would have a little bit more time. That's the only division. That's the only change I would make to that. Um, I honestly, I would love to see the portal go away (laughs) altogether. If I'm being completely honest with you, I just think it's been nothing but negative, but I do understand you have to have some order with how players come and go to, uh, 
to a new school, how they transfer. And a big thing a lot of people are asking for is players to have more control over their situations. And I get that. I understand that. The lower bowls need to have need to be settled by December 15th. And then you would roll out the um, you roll out the playoff. This would keep the calendar relatively concise. It would force bowls to say, okay, we're staying in these lanes. Um, and it would put the it would make a it would make a very, very good television product too, if you could just say, okay, we're just we saw a little bit of that this year, but there would be hardly any gap at all. You would have teams just playing in games that were somewhat important in those bowl games. And it would uh, it'd be a good product. But one big change, one big change to those lower bowls, one big incentive that we'd see is instead of the teams just going to the bowl and getting a goodie bag, there'd be an incentive to play in that, in that bowl. Every, and then we would, well, this would be regulated. Say every bowl game needs to pay every player who plays in it. Every player on the active roster would get a bonus, an NIL bonus, whatever you want to say, because they're making an appearance and that's helping television revenue from five to $30,000 in those lower bowls. So every player gets a $5,000 bonus. Now, if that bowl cannot afford this, this ticket, then they can't exist. And this, to me, helps two things. One, it gives the players a little bit of a motivator, a Christmas bonus, if you will, to play in this game. And the next thing it does is it gets rid of the bowls that really shouldn't be existing because they don't have the money to exist. Hopefully, many bowls would, would fall away. We saw it this year. There weren't enough 6-6 six and six teams to fill the bowls. I think there were two or three non-6-6 six and six teams that had to come in. You had a NCAA rule that had to be bent in two cases, and you had Minnesota, a five-win team, playing a bowl. So hopefully some of these bowls would fall away. I think that's nothing but a positive. And maybe, again, I always say contraction is the best thing for a sport because it makes the talent pool more saturated, higher octane, um, and it makes the product better. And if they could boil away some of these bowls and put a motivator in to get rid of some of these crappy bowls, I think it'd be a really, really big positive. I'm a guy who loves bowls, so I'm not speaking for myself here. I'm speaking for the overall sport and the general fan. On top of that five to $30,000 bonus, you'd have up to $50,000 bonus for, for the playoff games, and it would graduate with each round. So maybe it starts at 20, and it goes 30, 40, 50. Something like that, something along those lines. I think there would be those bowl committees would come together to talk about that and how they'd split up that cost. Um, and then finally, you would have MVP bonuses available from $10,000 to $50,000 per game. An individual could make yet another, um, another bonus. And then one more possibility, a winning team bonus. Maybe it's five dollars to $10,000, something smaller. And I know this is a lot of money. But let's not fool ourselves here. There is a lot of money in the hopper right now, and I think spending it this way makes sense. So put the NIL in the hands of guys who actually play and make it be an earned uh, earned income. That bonus of a, of a team effort getting to the bowl game, that seems to me like a pretty open-shut case, a good usage of the NIL money. Football-based salaries. Okay, the NCAA has talked a lot, a lot about the idea that there will be a paid subdivision. And in in their press releases, one thing they said is there will be salaries and that will be handled through an NCAA trust. So the universities would pay the NCAA and the NCAA would cut every check to the players in this paid subdivision. Well, what it needs to be is it needs to be regulated very clear that 
Everybody gets paid the same salary, but $50,000 base salary for a player um, would be a really, really good motivator, uh, an additional motivator, a way of players getting part of the um, TV revenue that is large right now. So if you have a package of a, a $50,000 um, base salary plus a typical uh, scholarship package that includes you know all their other expenses, room and board, and um, you'd have about about $10 million a year for a football program to cover their base package. That's not ridiculous money, especially when you look at $80 million for the TV revenue. Let's just look at that chunk right there. And pulling from that, you get the TV revenue, or pardon me, you get the salary, the base package, and then one other thing is maybe you can get the um, the NIL money because the NCAA also has mentioned that the NIL will come in house in the next couple of years, meaning they'll go away from the collective model being the, the entity that pays players. And so if, when it all comes in house, this can clear up a lot. And I talk about this here in a second, but by doing that, you'll say, okay, maybe uh, Ryan day said Ohio state needs $42 million to keep its pace. A program like Purdue, my guess is be about $20 million, 16 to $20 million to keep players on the NIL and spend it how they want to manage it. A guy like Mike Babinski can feast here because he's a business-minded person who's good at making plans. Um, but this is a very attainable model, in my opinion. Like I said, check out the, the, the post that I'm going to put on boiledsports.com for more information where I get these numbers and why I think they're attainable. The next step is the NIL structure being revised. If the if the NIL goes in-house and becomes a university entity, there are a couple things that simply must change right away. One, NIL agreements will be uh, structured between the university, um, the university's NIL office and player representatives directly. The terms of the contract, the uh, payment, that sort of thing will all be agreed upon between those two parties. Contracts, this is a big one. Contracts will be pub pub publicly accessible within 24 hours after the signing. And this does two things. One, it helps transparency within the game. And the second thing it does, it will make it very simple and easier to understand a player's market value. And by making these numbers public, it will clear up a lot of things. Right now, it is hazy at best figuring out what is happening with an NIL uh, agreement. In fact, Nick Scorton, there are so many rumors out there uh, that are telling you what, why Scorton ended up at Texas A&M. I don't know what the truth is. I can't even venture into that water to tell you, but it's murky. And so by doing this, you'll say, okay, it's pretty easy. A defensive end who's an All-American type player is worth this much because of the precedent that's been set. The other thing, okay, so players can still sign outside endorsement contracts, like, and I use the example of Caleb Williams with Dr. Pepper, but there's one exception. Player endorsement deals are not available, not available, with supplier athletic apparel, um, footwear and apparel, meaning the companies that supply uniforms and shoes to a school, they're not a, able to sign an outside deal until the player is a professional, full professional and outside of college. Again, this is one of those ideas that this is just a, a concept, but the whole thing was I'm trying to avoid old problems that have existed for a while and have become major problems. All right, the next thing is the transfer rules and structure. There is a, uh, a ton of need for structure around the transfer rules. We've already talked about the portal. And the next part is what happens when a player enters the portal 
First off, who pays for um, for the expenses and what's permissible? Right now, NIL is up front and guys are flat out bribed to uh, leave a school by goods and money being exchanged. The NCAA said it's not supposed to be that way. NIL is not supposed to be a recruiting tool. We know that, but it is. So the whole thing is you can bring your agent in and, and hammer out the deals of the deal for later during your uh, recruitment as a, as a player in the portal or even as a, a high school kid. But you cannot, the impermissible benefit thing that exists for the NCAA is still going to exist during the recruiting of these. Travel expenses like hotel, flight, food, those are all paid for by the university that you would be going to. So if you enter the portal and you've got a visit to Texas A&M, Texas A&M within their rules can, can pay for the hotel, flight, and food. But they can't give you goods. They cannot give hard goods and they cannot give cash. That's an impermissible benefit. If a meeting is set up, a tampering meeting, meaning a university reaches out to an agent and you find out that this guy is speaking to a university to avoid the tampering, which currently tampering says you can't, you can't reach out to a player who is already under scholarship. Well, that rule is going to still exist, but it's going to have some more teeth. So when the agent uh, speaks to a university, it has to be done during that period of time, during the transfer portal period. If you found out that an agent or representative has communicated with another university, that person will lose their license, their ability to represent a player for a year. And the whole idea there is you would strike right at the heart of the problem. You'd say, Agents can't do this. Nobody can do this. There's plenty of time. There's a month there for those guys to get recruited and make their decision where they're going to go next. And it's completely legal once they're in the portal for a, an agent to talk to that a new potential university. Let's see. The next thing, when a player enters the portal, this is a big deal, I think. When the player enters the portal, their salary uh, and their NIL agreements that were already agreed to at the previous university because those were agreed to under the idea that they are playing at that university. They're going to school at that university. But when a player enters that portal, that NIL agreement and the salary agreement are frozen immediately, meaning no money will be exchanged. If they enter the portal and they're gone, that's it. That's the end of that contract. It's null and void. So that means that contract, it depends on how the agent gets it. Does he get the money up front for his client or does he get it monthly? However, Maybe some university, I could see Purdue being a university saying, we're going to pay you a monthly, um, a monthly bonus, whatever those terms are agreed. That may change the type of player you get. Instead of getting guaranteed money and up front, you're saying, okay, you're going to get your money while you're here. One other thing, any communication by university uh, personnel or booster with a player directly will, will revo- result in a $100,000 fine uh, for the university that is doing the, doing the communication. Right now, the tampering, it exists, like I said, but there's no teeth behind it. But there'll be a real fine about that. They will also lose when they're found out guilty, when this is, this will be open and shut, I would think. When they're found guilty, they also lose the use of the portal for that next season. So they will not be able to use the portal for one of the two two uh, seasons. The next year, they would have they were, their ability to use the portal would be probationary. And if they do it again, then they're going to lose the ability to use the portal for a full year, and they're going to be fined an additional uh, five hundred thousand dollars. Fines like that are not going to just going to go into the air or go back to the NCA or whatever we call it, the governing body over this. Those fines are going to go directly to the university that was wronged, the one that the uh, other university is trying to undercut. So if you have $100,000, $90,000 of that would go to the 
old university, the original university. And the $500,000, it'd be uh, 90% of that as well. The other 10% would go to the governing body for things like investigations, the cost of doing business, that sort of thing. Now, one more thing, and this is probably the biggest point of all, in my opinion. Some of you guys have suggested this idea and I thought about it a little bit more. A transfer fee. So one of the best ways to, um, to slow down the, the hemorrhaging that's happening within college football is to have a transfer fee. And there's a structure within this transfer fee I put together. The first one is the lower division transfer. Any paid subdivision athlete that transfers via portal to a lower division can do so without cost to the new school, meaning there will not be any money exchanged for the rights to that player. So if this comes to pass where there is a paid subdivision and an unpaid subdivision, which I think is a very good chance of happening because many schools are going to say, we can't do this. We can't keep up with this. It's going to cause way too many new staffing needs. We're going to have to hold new departments. We're not going to do that. So maybe it'll be teams like that are in the MAC. Not all of them. I bet some will try to go up. But if you say, okay, we're going to stay down here. Well, that means that's the unpaid subdivision or whatever. There'll be better names than these. The mega division and the and the standard division, whatever. If a player transfers down, there is no transfer fee. So the next one is um, the level one transfer. Level one transfer is a non-starter who goes into the portal and transfers. The new university will receive $10,000, a $10,000 transfer fee. All fees will be just like we talked about early. 90% will go directly to the school. 10% will go to the governing body just for cost of doing business. These things are going to be costly. The business of doing this is going to be costly. There's no doubt about it. It's already costly. It's already changed the way universities run their staffs, so there's no change there. A level two transfer, any portal transfer who started more, uh, uh, more than two games, two or more games, pardon me, will cost the new, univer will cost the new university $20,000. So $20,000 as a fee, it doesn't go to the player. It goes to the old school to help them try to go and recuperate their NIL money, and they can go out and find a new athlete. Maybe they need to get back in the portal. It's up to them how they spend the money. Finally, level three, a transfer athlete who started eight or more games. So if, you've, if this guy has started eight or more games, it's documented, regardless of the situation right now, eight or more games, there's going to be a $100,000 transfer portal cost. These numbers sound ridiculous and silly, but I don't think they are. When you look at the rest of the budgets that are in place, the money that's being exchanged anyway, there has to be a cost here, and there has to be a way to slow this down and regulate it and make it more orderly. All these numbers would be public. Like I said, if you are not willing, if a school, say it's Notre Dame, say it's Northwestern because they're private, they say we are not willing to play along with these new rules. We will not make it public how much we pay NIL. We will not make it public you know, how we pay, pay out transfer, that sort of thing. Then you'd say, that's fine. You have every right to do that. Then you are going to be in the lower division. You can keep things exactly as they are in the lower division. You don't have to make things public. Pretty simple solution, and I think it's the right thing to do. You cannot have two sets of rules for schools within the same conference, within the same playing field, with all this money changing hands. One other thing. When a player is either kicked out of the university or kicked off a team, regardless of the reason, whether it's academics or um, whether it's academics or discipline, whatever the case is, at that point, that player is, for all intents and purposes, a free agent. And the their NIL is stopped immediately. Their salary is stopped immediately. They are a forced entry to the portal or 
maybe worse. I don't. I, that's. I think we can handle that later. If you've got an issue with the way college football is and the way sports are right now, like me, I think it's better to offer a solution than to continuous, continuously complain. This is my concept for a solution. Um, like I said, read up on what I put on Boiled Sports. Um, tell me your thoughts. I don't think that something like this is ridiculous or out of the realm of possibility due to its cost. I think the, the big thing is you have to have a governing body that's willing to put it in place and be very clear with the rules. And that's something nobody has right now with the NCAA as it stands right now. And that's why we keep getting the same problems where you have a half-assed, reactionary, knee-jerk solution to a problem that everybody knows is coming. Do I like players getting paid? Not really. I made that clear. I think the value of a scholarship is a pretty damn good deal. It's not just scholarship. It's also, there's a lot of other things, a lot of other benefits that players get. But we are here. We are in this situation. And now things need to be put into a structure that makes a lot of sense and that everybody can use. This can benefit the players. This can benefit the schools. Hopefully the people it doesn't benefit by moving the collective to as a third party where you can donate to the collective and the collective has to give that money directly to the university. They can't pay a player directly. Hopefully it changes some of the, the shadiness, the murkiness, the underbelly of recruiting that is so prevalent right now in college sports. And making these contracts public, I think, would go a long way to say, okay, we can clean this up. Give me your thoughts below. Talk to you soon. God bless you. Hammer down. We'll see you. Thanks for tuning in to the Boiled Sports Podcast Network.